Welcome to Cooking the Books, the food and hospitality podcast discussing all aspects of the industry. We interview chefs, butchers, brewers, winemakers, restaurateurs, restaurant managers, and we talk about how they got to this point, through the good times and the bad, and what they've got planned for the future. This is Cooking the Books. This week on the podcast, I had no other than Terry Laybourne, the British food icon himself. No one, I've had so many messages saying when you're getting Terry on, when you're getting Terry on. So this is it, he's, he's on. And this is actually just uh, first in many series I'd like to do with Terry. Uh, we've, we've discussed it and he's pretty keen because in this episode, we hardly even talked about food. We're just basically at the point of him turning 21 Queen Street, which is his Michelin star restaurant, to... Uh, Cafe 21 which went on to be his very successful bistro which has then moved on to Cafe 21 at Trinity Gardens um, so that's where we're up to in his story but I, with my because he's in England and I've got to use my phone and, and all the rest of it to record it the audio comes out of the, the battery put the battery port so I only get one life and it drains my battery's shite so it just drains it so yeah this is where we're up to in the story so there's a lot more we want to get into a lot more I want to get into with Terry about the business and how about his philosophy on food his philosophy on training I know he's super passionate about all them things but a quick quick rundown about Terry before we get into this podcast most of the people from England will, will already know who he is yeah, he, he's, he's a restaurateur, he's a chef slash restaurateur, probably more restaurateur now than chef, but obviously originally he was a full-on hardcore chef, worked in kitchens for 30, 40 years, in some fantastic restaurants in Germany and Switzerland, he said, uh, Jersey, and then a few restaurants in Newcastle before opening his own 21 Queen Street, which was the first restaurant to ever win a Michelin star in Newcastle, which he then on, he went on to hold for, I think he, he held it a lot of years. I want to say 21, and maybe that might be wrong. I held it for a lot of years. He's been awarded an MBE. Um, he's super humble. He's a mentor to myself and to many other chefs out there. Um, yeah, he's give everything to his trade, people would say. So, people who don't know him, I hope yeah, this is a good introduction and hopefully part one of many. Now, over to the show. Thanks for your time for on this Sunday, Terry. I appreciate it. Um, Early in your career, you work for, is it Klaus Mollin? Is that Klaus Mollin? Is that what you say? it? How do you say it? Uh, Klaus Mollin, yeah. Klaus, and he, he, he had a very regimented kitchen, right? He had a, he ran a, a regimented kitchen in, the, in, was it in Jersey? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Did he, yeah. Did, did he have a big impact in your, in your career? Huge. Huge. In what way? Huge, I think. Um... Well, I think he was, he was a guy that figured me out, you know. He, he was a guy that that understood what made me tick and he knew how to push my buttons. Um, I've never been the best timekeeper in the world. Oh, really? And um, uh, I was late once and I didn't get a bollocking, which was unusual. I was late the second time and he fined me. <laughs> Cash? Cash. So, also, if I was caught without a hat, 
which I hated to wear. <laughs> you know, we used to have to wear big, silly tucks. Yeah, yeah. If I was caught without a tuck, he find me. If I burnt anything or broke anything, he find me. And he used to do this to all the guys, but but uh, and and there was a kitchen pig. Uh, like a money box, and we used to have to put the cash in the money box, and at the end of the season, we had one hell of a party. But I guarantee that in in three years, I think, three seasons, so this was a summer season thing. Yeah. In in, in three summer seasons, I think I was the greatest contributor to, the, to <laughs> that party, I'll tell you. Um, but I sort of got it, you know, and uh, I thought his management style was marvellous. He was... He was harsh, but with a glint in his eye. He knew when to be harsh. He knew when to uh, put his arm around you. Uh, he made he made me very competitive. Um, you know, just a little anecdote on that. Um, we had it. We used to work six days a week in Jersey, and on a Monday evening, the a la carte restaurant. There was there was two 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 separate dining rooms. One for the house guests. One uh, one was a uh, uh, an a la carte restaurant that, that traded outside of the hotel as well and we didn't do a dinner service in there on a monday night so monday night was a big night out you know we all used to get um cleaned up and smartened up and we went out on on the town to party so he used to come out of his office fairly late on and he would ha- actually have it was very traditional you know he would call call the guard so that the lads were all clear to go and the chef de guard stayed in case there was anything left over and I was a godmother at the time and he went in my fridge and there was a, a, a top of veal hanging there a leg of veal so out he comes and asked me what was going on with the top of veal I said well it's not a big deal chef I'll do it in the morning he said but we always do it on a Monday and I said yeah but it's cool I'll do it tomorrow he said look how long is it going to take you and I looked at my watch and was sort of two minutes to nine, you know, which is one more than a fish. And I said, well, too long. He said, listen, it'll take no more than five minutes to break that wheel down. Uh, uh, I, th- I think it was probably less than five minutes this time he caught it. He said, you know, break it down into the primaries and just hang it up. And I shook my head. I said, not a chance. I said, you couldn't do that. Now, he was the son of a butcher, yeah, yeah. Competitive man. He said, you think I can't do it? Anyway, we shook hands on it, and the deal was um, a bottle of Canadian Club Ooh. and a case, case of Canada Dry. You're talking big money? <laughs> and the, 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 deal, the deal was that he had to do it, it had to be done before nine o'clock, before the top finished. And he did it, the guy, yeah. He did it. He absolutely nailed it. He just said it. And this was the this was the culture of his kitchen. Yeah. He put, he prodded, he tweaked, he really pushed people's buttons and, and got a great result. You know. But did he still feel part of the team? <sighs> yes and no, Rob, you know. He was the chef. Yeah, yeah. And the, there was never any doubt to that. Um I feel he taught me how to eat. Because um, he was we, big on staff food, wasn't he? He was big on staff food, which you get in yeah. your culture is what we, you've you've created that we, culture. Culture, sorry. Yeah, we we, we ate like kings. Mm. Uh, he he would appear in the kitchen um, at nine, uh, just just after nine. All, all all the guys were there and at work, and he would do his rounds and 
uh, he would generally go in my fridge when when uh, when I was the larder chef and pull a whole load of stuff out that I thought was hidden <laughs> and dump dump them on my bench, and I'd have to turn it into something. Generally, patty on croute or, or, or something for the staff. Um, and he would disappear in his office, and he'd write the 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 uh, the table d'hote menu for the next day, and would come out at eleven thirty and present me with that. Um, and the job was pretty much done for me. You know, we'd need uh, thirty portions of this, twenty portions of that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So he made the job very, very easy and very systematic. But he, he would do that and cruise through the kitchen, and all you heard was Essen in German, and off he went to the staff table, you know. And if you weren't there within five minutes, he would get up out of his seat and he'd come and give you the big finger. Come on, eat. And regularly, I would say, Don Chef, I've got too much on, I'm too busy. Don't worry, I help you. So, <laughs> did, he did he ever? Did he ever? He never helped me no, once, Rob. No. <laughs> Not once. But you know what? You got, he, he was dead right. Yeah, you yeah. got through it, you know. You got through it. it do you think you, that, that rubbed off on it, or, the way that you created the culture? I said it, the, the staff food, but even though, do you think his culture rubbed off on you, basically, is the question? Um, and you, you in, implemented that into your business? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I saw the value in it. Um and I, I, I still try and do it. I still try and drag people off the line and, and make them sit down and eat. You know, they often don't want to. Um, but like I say, I, I felt that as a 17-year-old there, um, I, I learned to eat there, you know. Mm. And but, I, I so, firmly believe if you don't know how to eat, um, you can't learn how to cook. It's not possible. Yeah. You have to have the end result in mind. Um and you get to the end result by by eating good food and recognizing what you're eating and what you're tasting and and that sort of thing. And he then he then sent you on to was it Germany and Switzerland? To- yeah, well, it was a bit of a story. Um, there was there was myself and one other English guy in this in this brigade there, um, and the rest were all German speakers. There were Germans or Austrians or Swiss lads. And the best cooks were either the Swiss lads or the German lads who'd spent a lot of time in Switzerland. Mm. So I got to the point where I felt that I, I didn't want to learn from them anymore. I wanted to learn from who they'd learned from. The horse's that make mouth. Sense? I, yes, I learned from take it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. wanted to go to the source. So I wrote a load of letters. You know, I did some research. And the, the, the reality is... Um, I had ideas above my station, and I'm writing to the best places in Switzerland, you know, and I didn't even get a reply. So I went to Klaus, and I told him the dilemma, and he said, mm, let me think about it. Anyway, he came back later that day. He said, you know, he says, I don't think you're going to have any luck. He said, I think the route for you is to go to Germany, learn the language, and then you'll get in through the back door. He says it's the language thing that's that's putting them off. So he proposed that he sent me to a hotel in Baden-Baden that he'd worked in uh, as a youngster. And this will show you how cunning he was. He says, what we'll do, Terry, he says, we'll send them a copy of the menu, but we'll remove the prices. We don't want to show them that it's a second-class restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Anyway, we uh, we followed the plan, and of course, the plan worked like a dream. <laughs> I did a just short of a year at this place, a, a sort of long summer season, um, which was a beautiful uh, a beautiful palace hotel in Baden Baden that was run by a um, family. It was still family owned. Um, and it was a joy, I have to say. It was a great place to work. Uh, I had a great time. Live-in? Was so, it live-in accommodation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It was a holiday camp, you yeah. know, in that, <laughs> in that respect. Uh, and then um, uh, I did, as he told me, and that worked treat as well. So I ended up working in these fancy places in Switzerland, these palace hotels, Uh so he, uh, he he nailed it. He was a very savvy guy. Did you ever did you keep in touch with him, or is he is he still with us? Oh, yeah. or is he still is he still going? He's, he's um, he was taken by cancer. I'm afraid about eight years ago. Oh, that's a shame. Never mind. But very sad. Always, but yes, up until, up until then, I'd stayed in touch with him. Absolutely. Yeah, always a soft spot in your heart. And then when in Switzerland, is it Heinz Winkler? Winkler? Is that Heinz Winkler? Is that his name? Yeah, I worked. I worked for Heinz Winkler. Yeah, in um, in the Schloss Hotel in Pontresina. How was that? Because he went on to win three stars, and he was what is he? Was he like a? He was the first yeah, Italian. Was it I mean, look first Italian German or something to win three stars at thirty-one years old or something? Is that right? Italian. Well, it it uh, Austro-Italian, I guess. Okay. Um, he was from the he was from the Sud Tyrol. Which was uh, which was Austria before the war, and then then became Italian. So he had an Italian passport, but he he he, w- he was an Austrian for all intents and purposes. Um, yeah, I think he was twenty eight or twenty nine. Heinz, when I worked for him, um, and he went on to to be a three star chef. Yeah, how was he? How was that experience? Like, you must have been. You know, you're learning the well in Germany. You're learning the language. You're learning. You, you're learning the food. You learn. It's all, all learning, learning, and it's so exciting that learning. You know, at that age. You, like, I think you said you were like 17, 18, 19. You must have been twenty, twenty-one, round about that time as the years went on. It must have been super think, exciting. Yeah, I think it was twenty when I worked for him. Um, it was. You know, every day was an adventure. Yeah, exactly. Um, every day, you didn't just learn. Uh, something new. You learned whole loads of things new, um, and then not on, not 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 only the job and the language, but I turned up in the mountains, um, and again we 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 all got together around the staff table. You know, three times a day there it was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Bloody hell! And the conversation there was only two subject matters of conversation. One was cooking, another one was skiing. Nobody knew anything about football, so that was me, Snooket. <laughs> um, so I thought, my God, I'm going to have to buy some skis. I need to learn how to ski. These these lads are talking about stuff that I know nothing about. You know? So all of a sudden, you've got to learn to ski as well. And and, and I think it's um, we all have this diet, desire to fit, you know. You want to be part of the gang. Definitely. So you have to do what the gang does. So out I went and bought some skis and some boots and... It took me and taught me how to ski. Um, another valuable so, lesson, eh? another lesson. So, and well, another yeah, another, another lesson. Yeah. But, um, Could you tell that? Is it Hind? Is that what you say, Terry? Hind, isn't it? Yes. Hind. Could you tell that he was going to be a superstar? You could the way. How, how was um, he different, and the way he he ran his team back in them days? 
I think he was probably one of the worst man ever. Like personally, like, like talking to people yeah. and communicating. Yeah, he was a non-communicator. Uh, closed, like closed shell kind of thing. Uh, no, no, not in that, not in that context. Um, he was a very personable guy. Don't get me wrong. Oh, was he okay? I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an example, Robbie. That that the, the, there was a a kitchen brigade of about twenty. I think we were in that team. There was myself, another English lad, one Swiss, and the rest were Germans. And a, a lot of the German boys were uh, first time in in Switzerland. Now, in England. At that time, when I learned to cook, all menus at, a, at, at any sort of high level were written in French. So you learn culinary French and you learn to understand culinary French. In Germany, and I learned this, I haven't spent time there, menus were written in German. And that, 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 that was the norm. There was no need for culinary French. So this guy, uh, Heinz Winkler, would say, office on a morning, he would do the uh, the du jour menu for the next day he'd come out of his office at 10 o'clock and pin it to a notice board in French so there'd be a huddle Oh, and everyone's German, everyone's yeah I get it everyone's looking glazed over, so the deal was that I used to have to translate it in my head from French to English <laughs> then into English to German and I in the jobs out. Fuck him. No, like a bit of pressure. Jesus it was, Christ. It was, um, it was an unusual situation. Also, there were only two, two books, one book allowed in the kitchen, and that was La Repertoire de la Cuisine, which, as you know, is nothing other than a dictionary, you know. Yeah, there's and, no uh, methods uh, in that, is there? Long lists of so on and so forth. So, my, my staff room, my staff accommodation was the nearest to the kitchen. So when there was some confusion about how do you do this or how do you do that, it was Terry's job to go find out. So they used to cover for me. I used to sneak out of the kitchen, go to my room, sit on the bed with Escoffier, La Russe Gastronomique, write some notes, come back, put the lads away. Bloody hell. It was, Rob, it was insane. Yeah, it sounds totally when, insane. When you consider how... Um, how available information is now to everyone. Everything's available. Yeah, I was, yeah, was going to say and, that. And they, they used to tell me ludicrous stories about uh, head chefs that worked for a, a chap at the um, the Hotel Victoria Jungfrau in Interlaken. There was a couple of lads had done a season there where the head chef used to spend the, the, the winters working in Cairo, apparently. So was fluent in Egyptian. He used to write all his recipes in Egyptians, so nobody could read them and nobody could nick them. It was in, <laughs> yeah. And where now the philosophy is to give, 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 isn't it? That's what you yeah. know. Everyone, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. So it was a, it was a, a, a bizarre closed society in in that context, you know. Yeah, crazy, but amazing as well. What the food was like? What 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 was the food? You know, like what in that time? You know, like what what's the word that all got escoffier or how was the how was the food? Well, we were. Um, it was very very polished. Um, the food wasn't plated. I think that's the big difference. Oh, silver service kind but, of style. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of table service, but 
Theatre? Yeah, Much theatre with that as well or not? Pardon? Much theatre, like carving and mixing at the table and all that kind oh, of thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Big, big theatre. Um, that, that, that was the big difference. Um, but we were, we were just entering into the period of Nouvelle Cuisine. Mm. So um, a lot of the techniques and things were, were, were a little different to what I'd experienced before, you know. Sauce croupe was much lighter. Um, the croupery, uh, the fish croupery was much more delicate. Uh, there was um, a fairly heavy Italian influence in the, a certain amount of the stuff. That um, the larder was a full-on, uh, a full-on larder, so there was a lot of butchery. Uh, we, uh, once a week, I think on a Wednesday night, there was a gala buffet. So we got into all is that of the like, fact. Is that like mirrors and things, you know, on the mirrors? Is that, is that that? Yeah. Absolutely. That all was still that there was... when I first started, when I worked at Craythorn Hall, we used to do mirror work and things like that. It was yeah. awesome. Salmon, um, poached and was, salmon and all that. It was, it was done at a, 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 at an incredibly high level. Um, and we, I, I, tra- I traveled there with a, um, with a friend, a, a colleague who I'd worked with in Baden-Baden. We went together to, to this hotel, the Schloss Hotel. So I'd, I'd been home for a few weeks and then I met up with him back in, in Baden-Baden and we got the train there. We got the train to, to Pontresina. So I don't know what the journey was, you know, but several hours and, and, and the change of landscape and the whole thing was quite an adventure. It was quite dramatic. So we arrived at Pontresina, I don't know, maybe 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the evening. And um, we'll, get the, we'll get the taxi from the railway station, which was a horse and sled, you know. It was terribly romantic. I, I wasn't quite sure where I'd arrive, but I knew it was. And we get to the hotel and it... You know, it wasn't quite the the dramatic Disney. It was of that ilk. Anyhow, we get in and we get settled, and we were told that um, there was some food on at six o'clock. Uh, and I remember it vividly. It was a ravioli and in tomato sauce and a green salad on the side. And God, it tasted good, you know. And we're talking about this, me and my my my, uh, my friend. And anyway, after we'd eaten. Said, come on, let's go have a look at the kitchen. And the kitchen was in darkness. So we has a wander around. We end up in the larder, and what we discovered on the larder bench was a whole raft of these butter sculptures that were magnificent, you know. And I looked at him and I said, My God, we're involved in something serious here. Yeah. And so we, we, we went to work with a fair amount of trepidation the next morning, you know. The first day at a new job is stressful in any year, but by any stretch, but this this particular one was uh, was a real stressful one. Anyway, it turned out okay. You know, we learned how to do it eventually. You, you say there the first day. There's two points I want to take off what you just said. One about sauce cookery because I know that's well. I think it's, that's one of your favourite sections and a, a section that you would have probably been quite happy just to do for maybe your whole career. I've heard you say in the past. But before yeah. we get into that, you said you just said the first day in. Um, your first day in a job is is very important. And we've had this discussion before, and I won't mind talking about it here, is, I don't know if you remember it, Jesmond Dean, you used to always give me the guys to show around and, and, and spend spend a couple of days with at the beginning. Do you remember? And you used to always say the first couple of days, if you can lock them in the first couple of days, you can get, long, yeah. you can get longevity out of them. Do you remember that? 
And I think, yeah. and that's something I've took from that throughout my career. And I think that's something, the, the reason I'm saying it is that there's people out there that I think it's a great tip, basically, that if you do get someone new, you've got to remember what you felt like in that, on your first day. And if you can give them someone who is personable, who is a bit more chatty, a bit more friendly, and get them to shadow them for a couple of days, I think, and get them integrated into the team, you're going to get a lot longer out of them people. And I've, I've seen it many, many, many times over my career, and it works. That's It's a fact, it works. Yeah, I think you... Um it's hugely stressful and, and and it's important to settle people down and make them feel at home and I think you've got to try and set people up to win and there are an awful lot out there who set people up to fail you know they um, they put obstacles in their way to see how they deal with that sort of thing um, they pressure test them and I, I think that these sorts of things are perhaps necessary and, and you do have to um, uh, assess on their skills and, and sometimes find their breaking point if, if that's the right term but it, it's not something for the first couple of days you know. you've got to get people settled in you've gone to a lot of trouble to recruit them um, you've got to put some time and effort into them I believe definitely and then on the on the cookery and I was right in saying that you you, you know it's one, it is definitely one of your favourite sh- sections I'm right in saying that right is that right yeah I think well I think um and how and how did how did sauces change? You said they went from heavy to a lot lighter. I'm guessing you're saying like demi glaze and, and and all the rest of it, and then into what just more of like a meat based jus effectively. Yeah, well, we we uh, prior to then uh, uh, we were making sauces with flour, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Quite frankly, sauce so, so, sauce cookery using flour is, is very complex. Um, demands a lot of care and a lot of attention. You can still get a great result, but but you have to work damned hard at it to get a great result. Um, and 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 because of this, there was a lot of people didn't fully understand it and and therefore created sources that weren't great. The flavor was locked in. Uh, they were dumb. They were heavy. They were almost puddingy. Um, but 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 then here I arrive in this this place and we're creating flourless sauces, which was a bit of a which was a bit of a culture shock, you know. Um, flavors were that little bit more intense. Um, we were monitoring things with butter for the first time. Um, I'd never experienced that, and everything just had that 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 uh, element of finesse. That and it's still, and I guess it's, you know, it's, even though now it's probably more juicing and these kind of things, but it's, you know, it's still quite a light, it's still along that path. Has it changed? I guess I'm asking, I should be asking you, has it changed much since then to now? Well, I think it's continued on the same path. Yeah. Things have become, uh, be- become much lighter. And I think the, um, one, one of the current trends, I'm saying trends, but we've probably been in this position or probably eight, eight or nine years, is uh, sources have stopped being sources and they're almost condiments. And you've got a very small quantity of something that's very intense. Um, and then the moisture is provided on the plate via a vegetable puree. Um, it's not something I, I favor uh, myself. I prefer to eat with um, with a really good sauce, you know. And plenty but, of uh, it, right? Plenty of it, and, and plenty of it. But 
you know, the current trend is the current trend. I get it. I understand it. It's lighter. And one could argue it's, it's, it's healthier because of the vegetable puree. But um, it's not my way, is, is all I'd say. Uh, even after all that experience and, and all, all them, you know, out in Germany and Jersey, Germany, learning a new language and everything, you then come back, well, you, you then come back home. And I, I heard, I read somewhere that you said um, you, were driven, you were driven by insecurity, even after all that. Is that right? Yeah, well, I, I, there wasn't a plan to come home. There wasn't a plan to stay home. I came for, for six weeks. Traditionally, we, we always had a, a lengthy break between the, um, the end of the winter season and, and, and uh, sorry, the end of the summer season, the beginning of the winter. And I was due to go back to Davos. Um, to work with Hind. Is that with Hind or not? No. We're, we're, back at we're, Germany? We're, it was no, no. It was in uh, uh, Switzerland, another another ski resort in Switzerland. I was going back to work for a chap who I'd, I'd worked for the previous season, and the previous season I was in a palace hotel uh, called um, the Quellenhof in a spa town called Badragatz, and for a twenty-two-year-old Rob uh, who who was focused on working hard but but playing hard as well Badragats was not the place to be <laughs> bit quiet it was it was insanely quiet and if i tell you that the first night we went to a disco myself and uh a lad that became a really good friend a, a swiss italian lad danielle and i went to the disco on the friday night and they were doing the fox. <laughs> it's pretty tough. It's pretty tough to look cool in that environment when you the dance dad. So the upshot was um, the work was great. I learned a lot, but there was nout going on. And the net result of that was that I, I came home with a pocket full of cash um, and proceeded to spend it. And had a great time while I was home. So I was home for six weeks. In in the midst of all that, I ran into an old friend and um, in a bar in town on, on, on a Friday night. And he was the head chef in a fish restaurant in town and just chit-chat. It was supposed to be a really good place, this place. And he, was, he said he was really struggling for staff. And I said to him that if, look, if, if you want, I'm around for six weeks. Um, I'll come and give you a hand. No, no, he said, don't be silly. You're on holiday and everything else. Well, I said, look, I'm serious. If you need a hand, give me a buzz. You know where I am. He got me out of bed the next morning, rang me. <laughs> Were you serious? Could you come and help? So I went. And this was a, um, this was a fish restaurant. Uh, I'd come out of, uh, uh, you know, big, big brigades. Uh, you never saw a customer. It was very formal. Everything about the, the 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 job was very formal and very professional. And here I was in this dinky little kitchen uh, with three other guys. And I don't know. I just sort of enjoyed it. You know, it was so different culturally. Uh, you are encouraged to see the customer. You are integrated with the front of house staff. You know, they were virtually in your space. Um, anyway, so I, I, I planned to help him out for two weeks or three weeks. 
and uh, I enjoyed it. It was obviously clear I was enjoying it, and they started to work on me. And I kept saying, no, 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 I'm going back. I've got to go back, you know, I've got a job, and, and so on and so forth. And then I made the fatal error, and I mentioned it at home to my parents. So then they got on my case. They wanted you to stay, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I stayed. I stayed and I said that I would do, I said to myself, I would do that that, that one winter at home. Um, And of course, Christmas was approaching, you know, I was due to go away on the 3rd of December or something like that. So Christmas was looming and I hadn't been at home for Christmas for I don't know how many years. Um, And I stayed and, and I never went back. And because of that, sorry, back to the original question, this insecurity, so I felt that you know I've ended up in this situation where uh, I've always had a mentor, I've always had a master chef to um, show me the path and teach me uh, new things and and correct me when I was wrong, um, and then I didn't have anyone. So I, I did became a wee bit insecure, yes, and almost paranoid. But what that did was drove me to to read and study and search out new information more and go and visit other restaurants at a, at a high level um, and learn that way. You know, I didn't have that mentor anymore. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I had to learn by other ways. So in a way, you end up teaching yourself. And I think that when you teach yourself, you're, you're probably a little bit harder and a bit harsher with yourself. Um, and you become very self-aware, you know. Yes, that was the route, you know. I'd, 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 planned, to, I'd planned to go back. Um, I went and did another season in Jersey and was going to go again back for the winter season to do the ski season, and I don't know what it was. I just I just wasn't up for it, you know. Yeah, I'd yeah. lost, I guess. Um Definitely, I get uh, it. So then how, did, then how did you get to from, from there to Fisherman's Lodge? Well, the place I had been working was, was a, uh, as I said, a fish restaurant in town called the Fisherman's Wharf. And this was a place that was hugely successful. Um, we filled the seats at lunchtime. We filled the seats at dinner. Um, it, it, was, it, was, uh, it was very straightforward, the cookery. Um, it was fish-focused. And, I mean, that's the right approach for fish. I, I believe this now. But the product wasn't good. The raw product, the raw product you're talking about, not the final product, the raw product. No, the raw product. Yeah. I'm not exaggerating when I say that there wasn't a piece of fresh fish in that kitchen when I arrived. <laughs> um, the whole the whole shebang came from a company called Young's in uh, Young's Seafoods in Grimsby. So we had frozen Dover soles, frozen Canadian lobsters, um, mussels in bags, um, I didn't quite understand that, you know. We were 14 miles from the sea, and I, I had I had just come home from um, from San Moritz, and we were uh, a country without a seaboard, and I think 1,800 meters above sea level, and we worked with fresh fish. We had two deliveries a week: one from Bremerhaven and in Germany, and one from La Rochelle. So I couldn't get my head around this concept of not having fresh fish, you know. So I set off on a mission to change this. 
Especially there, you know, you've got Hartlepool, you've got Whitby, yeah. you've got Shield, you've got bloody yeah. Sunderland, you've yeah. got everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, North, okay, North Shields isn't quite the, the fishing port now, but then... Not back in the day, it, for sure. It was still fully functioning, you know. So, anyway, that, that was the sort of purpose. My pal moved on. Ultimately, I ended up with a head chef's job at 23-year-old or something, which was nuts, but it was what it was. And then these people... Uh, on the back of that success, uh, decided to open another place, which was much bigger. It was in a park in the city. And one of my colleagues went to run it. And and uh, so, so I hit on at the Fisherman's Wharf. But I think within about six months, it, it might have been Nick decided he was going to move on, wanted to do something different, his own thing. And they asked me to go over and take it over. And this coincided with the opening of um, of two function rooms upstairs, so it it changed the, it was changing the dynamic of the whole business, you know. And I'd had some good experience with um, with function work, different and, rooms and, and things. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, that the 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 platters and things. Yeah, and that sort of thing. So I I went in to um, to lead it, and I mean on on day one, I think I had four cooks plus myself. I told myself I was going to stay for two years and I was going to achieve marvellous things in two years. Eight years later, I raised my head one day and thought, my God, I've been here eight years, you know. It's 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 time to move on. And it wasn't that I didn't enjoy the job and wasn't satisfied in the job. It was just this concept of eight years just seemed like such a long time. And I became a little disappointed and disenchanted with everything because I then started looking for someone to blame the fact that I hadn't achieved in eight years what I thought I could achieve in, in two. And, of course, um, it was everyone's fault except mine. Couldn't possibly be my fault, could it? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, so there had to be a day of reckoning. I had to decide what the next move was. Uh, in reality, I wanted to go away. I wanted to go and work in France and spend some time in France. But I came to the conclusion that this was really futile because I built a reputation there. Um, I'd built a network. I was only going to go away to learn new things, to bring them home, to apply them. To build a, to, thought, to build an audience, to build a reputation, yeah. which you'd already built, I guess. Yeah, which I'd already built. So I thought that, you know, perhaps the time has come. I've got to go and do something on my own, something for myself. So just for two seconds there, I just want to just pause there. You see, you know, you said you took the head chef's job at 23 and, you know, yeah. it was a really successful thing. Do you think that's also, I would say that you you, you give youngsters a good, uh, how would I say, um, you give youngsters the opportunity to take senior roles. Do you know what I mean? Well, you definitely yeah. give me the opportunity as a youngster to take a senior role and, and put yeah. faith in me. Do you think that might be, that's one of the reasons that you do that as well in your business and you have done for, for many, many of your senior guys that you have now, like the likes of Chris and Martin and these kind of people, you, you've, yeah. you've supported them from a young age because you knew you could do it at that age. Yeah, I guess, I guess what it taught me was that it was possible. You know, it is possible that um, with the, 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 the right the right tools that you can achieve it at a, at a young age. You don't know all the answers. I didn't have a clue how to run a kitchen. Um, and I think in those situations, what, what you do is you, you run a gang, you know? Yeah, for and sure, 100%. You're the leader of the gang. Why? Definitely. Because you're the best fighter, you're the best runner, 
But in this situation, I was the leader of the gang because I was the best cook. And I was prepared to work the hardest. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I get that. 100%. And the rest, you learn it, you learn it along the way. It, it was a very busy place, which means that, that that in itself controls you and controls what you can do. So, that, you know, there's no time to veer off the track and get all... Um, Get all artsy and creative. Oh, fancy, and, yeah. Don't get fancy, right? I love that saying, yeah. don't get don't get fancy, stupid. Do you know what I mean? Like, just one foot in front of the other. That in, it, in itself controlled the style of play, if you like, you know. And how important uh, do you think it was, sorry to cut you off there, Terry, how important do you think it was to have had that position as a head chef in a busy restaurant and, and with the rooms and whatnot before for eight, especially for eight years, that's effectively a, a, a head chef apprenticeship. But you know, you could say it's to some extent or a business apprenticeship before you went on to open your own your own restaurant, practicing with someone else's money. I guess you could say. Oh, it was it was it was crucial, Rob. It it was crucial. Uh, yes, I was practicing with someone else's money, but you know, I I, I treat their money as if it was my own. Well, that's I that business. It was my own. But just off the back of that, that's why you probably end up getting your own business because if you didn't, you wouldn't. Do you know what I mean? You had that mentality anyway. Do you know what I mean? And I don't. I didn't mean yeah. that in a in a negative way. Practicing with someone else, really like throwing it away and like not caring. It was just you know, it, it is what it is. If you care about it and build it up and, and whatnot, and but using their money that you, you know, that's what I'm saying. But yeah. it, it was yeah. it was very valuable, basically. But, but you know, I um, that's not to say that I didn't indulge myself. Uh, I, I taught I taught myself how to cook isn't isn't perhaps quite right. Uh, I, I, I developed enormously as a cook in in that period because I had the freedom, and I was working for people who put a lot of confidence in me, um, and let me get on with it. You know, and that in itself, I think, uh, it's a big responsibility when you've got people who invest in you and who have confidence in you. Um, I think you're under enormous pressure to deliver. You know, you don't want to disappoint people, do you? Disappointment is the worst, isn't it? It's when when someone, yeah, when someone has faith in you, and you can see them looking at you, going, and you know, giving you the rope to either climb or hang. You know, you you, you want to climb, don't you? Do you know what I mean? You want to do well. You want to prove yourself and and not let them down. It's an absolute fact. No, it, it, and, it, and it was absolutely that. That was always. Always there for me, and I think you know you you. you um, I developed this discipline, I think, and and like I said, it goes back to what we discussed earlier. You know, I I, I developed a bit of a um, a bit of a chip that I didn't I didn't have anyone to guide me, and it's a lonely place, you know, when you um, when you're the boss, and when you're the boss for the first time, it's a lonely place. You're confused. You don't really know how to how to lead people, how to guide people, how to discipline people. Um, you've got to follow your gut instinct, and you've just and you've got to use the people that you've worked for in the past and who've led you in the past, and consider how they may have dealt with this. Um, and I think I relied on that quite heavily, really, you know, because I'd I'd, I'd had a number of different bosses with very different leadership styles and very different personalities. So there was a good cross-section there to draw upon. Which is what you get the experience for, isn't it, at the end of the day? That's why you, yeah. that's why you do it. And you get, you get through it, you know. You learn and you make some horrendous mistakes. <laughs> as, long as, as long as you learn from them, then 
that's cool, you know, you, you dust yourself off and move on. And how did how did things change, I guess, mentally when when you had your own your own business? What what was the shift? Or did you just keep doing the same thing? That was, you know, I, this is my strategy. It's worked here. I'm just going to go and implement this strategy in my own business. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted, I wanted the environment to be very different. The the restaurant I came out of uh, was very traditional in its deco and its and its approach. Again, I was restricted as to what I could serve. Not not because anyone was telling me. I had to do it a certain way, but because of the, the the volumes that we were involved in, you know, it was a huge business. Fund. And I wanted to change all that. You know, the world was changing. I'd, I'd spent a good bit of time in London. Um, and the places that stimulated me all seemed to have the same formula. They all seemed to have 40 seats. They all seemed to have a little bit of a bar area. All the food was plated in a particular style. And I, I think there was probably four restaurants that... Um, that were the model really for what I what I wanted to do, and uh, one was La Ton- Yeah, La Ton- one was La Ton- which I think was a two star restaurant at the time. Um, and the other one was was uh, one one of Nico's restaurants on his journey. It was when he was in Battersea, and it was Shane Nico, I think, at the time. Nico Leden is that Nico Nico Ledenis? Is it Nico Ledenis? Yeah. yeah, and a yeah. few doors down was a, a, another young French a young French chap called Christian Del Tay and he had a restaurant called Arlica. Yeah, I don't know that. And that that was out of the same mould, if you like, you know, 40 seats. And uh, I, I, I was very interested in what Raymond Blanc had done in Oxford with his second restaurant um, called Le Petit Blanc. Yeah, and, yeah. That went on to be Bruno. a chain. Did that go on to be a chain, did it? I think they, 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 it did, yeah, yeah but it, yeah. it became something very different to what it was then. Yeah. And he, he had um, he had Bruno Bruno Lube in there at the time and um, an old pal of mine who was next with you in Melbourne, a lad called Tom Milligan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom, Tom was Bruno's sous chef. So they, they were very much the model and this was what I wanted to achieve. I wanted a restaurant of that style, you know. So I had a clear vision as to as to how I was going to deal with it. So there, it was a bit of a departure uh, in style. Um, but but other than that, everything else remained the same. I did, I, 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 I tackled my job in the same way. Um, and the only difference, people used to ask me, you know, uh, how's it feel? How's it different working for yourself? And my response was that it's no different at all other than for one factor. And that was there was no one else to blame. Yeah. In 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 my previous life, whenever anything went wrong, there was ever anything that, that you didn't like. Who did you blame? You blamed the owner, you know, it's his fault. You know, when some when something wasn't working, I was looking for that person to blame and he wasn't there. <laughs> so it rested on my shoulders. That was tough to come to terms with, you know. And I guess that's just uh, the learning process, le- learning learning to accept responsibility and shoulder responsibility. Did you do the decor a few times at, at, at Twenty One Queen Street? You know when it used to say Twenty One Queen Street written around the the centre. Yeah. Was that was that from the get go? That just out of interest. No, no, that was the second second phase. Yeah, okay. Uh, that was amazing. Opened. I fucking love that. I remember walking in that place for the first time, and it was just like yeah, this is pretty- just unbelievable. 
Yeah, well, I think at, at that point, up, up until then, um, it, it was almost a restaurant in kid form. You know, I'd been to these places and tried to replicate them. But by that point, I, well, we, op- we opened in September 88 and we did the, the big change in 93, I think. Yeah, okay. So in between times, we had a, we'd, we'd got a star from Egon Roney and a star from Michelin, so on and so forth. I'd become a lot more confident um, and got rid of some of the paranoia. And as a result, was operating and cooking a lot freer, you know. Uh, and I think we, we, we then had the confidence to become our own restaurant in our own vision does that make sense yeah yeah like yeah like your own stamp your own signature your not signature dishes but you you know you you all you yeah you know i know what you're yeah, saying yeah yeah it, 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 yeah and it 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 became our own style and it, the deco was very radical for the time it was very very sharp as you recall and very edgy um and i really liked that uh, it was that uh, was the nicest period well yeah i, I remember coming in and um i come for a table or two and one night and um, it, it, the table was like sat in, in, in the middle, not in the middle of the restaurant, but you know, the, the tables were quite spaced apart, were quite well spaced, weren't there? And, and it, like, it, it was just, it was a mess. It was mind blowing. I think I was 18 at the time. It was just like, this is fucking oh. unbelievable. You know, you go in the bar, the bar was as you walked down the left hand side, wasn't it? And then you got tucked through and it was just like, man, this is off the chart. I even had these, um, I think they were like, I think you called them chickpea chips or something. It was like a sea bass dish with chickpea. Do you remember that? Did you, uh, did you yeah, do it? Yeah. yeah. With chickpea chips and maybe green beans and something else, I think it was with it. Do you remember? Do you remember that dish by any chance? Yeah, it was sort of provosali, I think. Yeah. I don't think it would have been green beans, but... Oh, uh, yeah, 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 definitely chickpea chips. I remember that. It was definitely chickpea chips for sure. Yeah. And like you said there, you, you won a Michelin star. And I know you don't like harping on about it and it's the past and whatnot, but what more to the point was, what was the pressure like having that? Did you feel a pressure having that and and retaining it more, more than anything? You know, I didn't really. Um... I, I didn't initially. When I first first got it, I was embarrassed. I came to work that morning. I didn't tell anyone. <laughs> I got a phone call um, with a chap called Bob Gledhill, who was the northern editor for the Caterer. He got me out of bed that morning. Uh, he rang me at home. Um, I tell you, it's Bob Gledhill. Uh, <laughs> morning, Bob. What's going on this early? He says, I'm just ringing to congratulate you. Oh, thank you very much. Congratulate me on what? <laughs> On your star, what star? I said, the Michelin star. And I told him to get lost, you know. Um, I thought it was a wind-up. So I wasn't expecting it. We weren't striving for it, you know. We were we were striving to be better today than we were tomorrow. That was the mantra. The mantra, yeah. Um, and we weren't chasing accolades. Uh, but it came, and I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to tell the staff. Uh, and I regret that, you know, we didn't party, we didn't whatever. And I um, uh, I used it in a different way. I used it to motivate and I sort of played the football card, you know. You're as good as the last service. Forget about all the accolades. You're as good as the last service. And if if we don't deliver, then it feels like getting beaten off Hartlepool at home in the cup. You know, you win it, you, you you win at Old Trafford one day, and you come home and the next week and get beaten off Hartlepool in the cup. They're the so, quiet, they're the quiet services, then though. You know, and everyone knows the, that. 
they're the, they're the quiet services. So I didn't feel the pressure until uh, I started opening other restaurants. And that pressure manifested itself in guilt. Because you weren't there? I was guilty that I wasn't there. Yeah. And I felt that, you know, the star and running a restaurant at that level in that style demanded creativity and change. And I didn't have the time to apply to it. I was busy sorting out logistic, logistical issues with um, bistros, basically, which is what, what we'd morphed into doing. I was away from the kitchen a lot more than I had been. I used to sneak out the back door and sneak in the back door, feeling guilty that I wasn't there. So at, at, that, at that point, it did become a pressure. But pr- prior to that, not at all. I didn't, I didn't feel it. I had a lot of mates who were in the same position, um, who, who were great to lean on and bounce off. You know, we were a bit of a gang. We were all in this club together and all striving together. Uh, so there was a good support network there, and as so, so they, they were a big help, I think, in probably dealing with any any perceived pressure, any pressure I might have perceived uh, uh, had they not been there, if you like. As well as a star, um, though, you won you won an MBE, and you're so nonchalant about it. And yeah, why? why well, like and you all, it's like you say, you're embarrassed to win the star. You always seem you always kind of play down that this and. Do you think that's just part of your personality? You just, you know, you just that guy that just wants that. Is it that northeast thing? You just keep going and working hard, and you don't like to take too much credit, or do you know? Or what do you think it is? I don't know. It's a it's a combination of all those things. Yeah. You know, I think if we talked about this before, in order to achieve certain things, one has to be very self aware. So if you're self aware, you, you, you you're you're aware of yourself on the bad days as well. Yeah, you know. You're aware of yourself that day when you can't be bothered because some days I can't be bothered. Some days I do fudge things. Um, so I think that when when you know when you're faded and you're trumpeted and and someone sticks a badge on your chest, you can't help but feel a bit guilty because you know what? Some days I'm not Superman. Some days I just can't be bothered. Yeah. For me personally, not that I'm not. Saying that I've accomplished half as much, a quarter, or even a tenth of what you have. But what I, when I get praised, especially like for some of the products that we do now, someone say, "I can't believe you created that. It's fantastic." This, that, the other, and people say, "How do you feel?" You know, and honestly, and I'm not just saying this. And this, I'd like to say it was between me and you, but obviously it isn't. But it genuinely, genuinely, it doesn't make me feel anything. Zero, nothing absolutely nothing. Like it's really bizarre. Like it's, I'm probably on a bit of a quest asking you this. As a more like, why do you think it is as well? Because people think, oh, you should be so proud, or you, you would be so happy, you know, as well with the business you've grew this. But honestly, I expect it. I think is what I, is is more. I expect it from myself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that if 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 you are a driven person, you you, you measure yourself by your own standards, and if you're also a person who is always striving to do better then you, you, you don't have time to bask in the glory. Yeah. You've, you've, you've got to, you know, you're, you're on the hurry up. You're on the move. You, you want to move forward. It's And do you think that might be a bit about yourself as well? Yeah, Re- I think reflecting. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I know, it's, 
it's sort of never good enough, is it? You know, you always want it to be better. And I think it's the nature of our job yeah. as well. That There are so many elements to it. There are so many things that can go wrong. Um, I think one's always focused on the, the, the potential the potential error, the potential disaster. And that's what sharpens your focus, you know. Somebody comes along and pats you on the back and wants to, to, to put you on top of their shoulder. It's... I'm with you. It doesn't mean anything, you know, and you feel guilty. You feel guilty for them because they want you, you know, they they think they are sharing in your joy when the reality you don't have any. And then sometimes I go home and think, God, I'm such a miserable old sod, you know. <laughs> um, I get it. And, and you know, it, it, it sometimes that rubs off on the guys around me. I think that I should, I should let them enjoy it more. I don't really know how to deal with it. Yeah, but you know, you do how, you do it your you do it your way. At the end of the day, I think that's all you can do, isn't it? Be authentic and do it your way. Whatever you feel, you do, and that's it. Don't be fake. Yeah. I guess is what it is. You changed Twenty One Queen Street after many years to a, a, a B, would you say a bistro? It went to Cafe Twenty One. You'd say that was a bistro style restaurant, would you? Yeah. Would you? Yeah. Uh, and that went on to be super successful, man. That was like, you know, it was a really successful restaurant. And it's gone on, it's moved on since then. And it's still a massively yeah. successful restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that was probably the, the biggest business move you made by shutting shutting that down and turning it into a bistro and then driving that and, and building from there? Uh, yes and no, I guess, you know, because don't forget that um, we'd done the first Cafe 21 many, many years earlier in um, Sun- was it in Sunderland out, out in the suburb out in the suburbs no in Pontyland Pontyland oh, was, was the first oh, was it? Okay, yeah. so that was um, that was a huge success and again that that came out of a little bit of paranoia you know I uh, I had a mindset at the time that uh, 21 Queen Street was the fanciest restaurant in town and I was worried that people were coming because it was the fanciest restaurant in town not because the food was the best uh, or, 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 or all of that sort of stuff. And going back to the chap that I worked for at, at the Fisherman's Lodge, he was an Italian lad. And he was very savvy, you know. And he said to me one day, he said, Terry, listen. He said, Jordy wants his food hot, he wants it salty, and he wants it crispy. <laughs> he said, and he wants plenty of it. He said, forget about all the fancy stuff um if you stick to that we'll be really successful here so this always played on my you know and i used to look in the mirror and think hold on i'm a jody and i want a little bit more than that i can appreciate a little bit more than so anyway uh uh, uh, because uh, this all this always stuck with me you know It, it it's never left me this and I was worried that people would come to 21 Queen Street because it was the fanciest restaurant, not because it was the best food. And perhaps Geordie doesn't get it and doesn't get good food. So I decided to test the theory. And I was ready to do something else anyway. I was getting a little bit itchy. Um, and I seen a, I seen a, a pizzeria advertised for sale in the local paper on a Saturday morning. And um, I, we didn't do lunch at that time on a Saturday, and, and uh, I used to go around to my mother's um, always. And uh, on a Saturday morning, my brother was there, you see. So 
I opened the paper and I put it down in front of him, pointed to it and said, what do you think? Uh, and his response was, don't know, let's go have a look. Anyway, we went and had a look and we did a deal for, on this place there and then. Jesus. And I guaranteed the, the lady that had it that I would have the deal done in six weeks. I said, I don't need to raise the money. We've got the cash. Um, we'll do it in six weeks. So it was done, and it was done in six weeks. I was really fortunate. I had a, a front-of-house guy who had left us for a manager's position. He, he, he was one of our guys, you know. He'd been with us a long time. And he came back uh was moaning about where he'd gone to. Uh, he wasn't enjoying it. He had no team. There was no structure. So we engaged him to head it up. My sous chef at the time at, at um, 21 Queen Street was a boy from Devon. And he was limbering up to go home. He wanted to go home uh, to, to, to uh, progress, I guess. So I lined him up to be the head chef there. So that was perfect for him. It was a lovely step up for him. Um, and we we set about opening a 32-seat bistro, and I wanted to test this theory. I paid everything back. We had um, we, we, we did everything that was counterintuitive. So I wanted the tables to be too small, the chairs to be uncomfortable. We used second-hand cutlery and crockery. We paid the food right back but we made sure that the product was good and it was very simple. And this thing was an enormous success. We, uh, we had 32 seats. We didn't take reservations. And the record number of covers in that initial period was 111 for a dinner service out of 32 seats. Jesus, you're turning them, aren't you? You're turning them. So, so you are turning them in a big, big, big way. I have to say that we only got about 18 months out of it at that pace. Um, you know, at the time it was new, it was novel, it was exciting. Everyone wanted to go there, but after a while, they got a little um, they got a little bored with the queue. It, 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 it was tedious, and what we saw first was um, the size of the groups drop. No longer were we getting sixes and fours. It was it was all twos, you know. And I guess it was people not wanting to risk of inviting their friends out or their colleagues out. And they're not to be a table and they have to stand in the queue and so on and so forth. So we, we remedied the problem. Um, a little while later, we we bought the lease on the shop next door, knocked through, doubled the size of the place, built a bigger kitchen, um, and then started to take reservations. So we uh, we sort of fixed the problem, you know. Reacted to the situation um, at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah. So, so back to the and and then after that we we so did that, it twice again. Was that like a trial run, effectively, for changing twenty one? It, it wasn't meant as a trial run. It was just it was just something that we did. You know, it it felt right, um, and I enjoyed it enormously. I really enjoyed that casual thing, the casual vibe. Uh, I really enjoyed the numbers. You know, <laughs> I like volume. I love that logistical challenge of delivering good food to a lot of people. So the opportunity came up to do it again. And um, we went and did it in Durham. Uh, again, it was a huge success. And then, so this was two years after we opened in Pontyland. We went to Durham. Then two years after that, we went to Sunderland. 
And then at that point... And you still retain the star at this. You still have the star, right? Yeah. Still yeah, the star. far out, yeah. So, so at that point, we were battling a little bit at Queen Street, at, at 21 Queen Street, the principal restaurant, because there was a whole load of um, renovations going on around us. That part of the city was noisy. It was dirty. We had um, builders' porter cabins parked out front of us. Yeah, it's not a good look, is it? was covered in scaffolding and sheets. And quite frankly, it killed our lunch business. It destroyed it. It just went away. So I started to think about this business very deeply. And I decided that what I needed and what I wanted was... Uh, a different property that was out of town. It had some dedicated parking. It had a bar stroke lounge area and had a, had a private dining room. So uh, a friend of mine uh, who was also my neighbour was a property developer and I gave him the task of finding me somewhere. So over the next few months, yeah, he would ring me up uh tell me he'd found this place, come and have a look. I would go and have a look, shake my head, say it's not right for whatever reason, um, and go back to base camp and plough on. And then I sort of gave up on it, you know. I thought to myself, you know what, this is never going to happen. On top of that, I was spending a lot of time out of the kitchen and feeling guilty for not being there. Uh, I was having difficulty in moving the, the menu on, the product on. Um, because I didn't have time to apply to it. I then made the decision that, okay, uh, I, I told myself that the location may not be right for a, um, a, a starred restaurant anymore, but it's a great for a bistro. So what, what we in fact did was brought the Pontelan concept into town, just dropped that model in, you know, that bistro model, the, the high-energy uncomplicated, very, very tasty food. And off it went again, that flew. So I gave up the I gave up the high end restaurant. I gave up the fine dining world as it were. Um, and with that I think made that move from from chef to chef restaurateur. I, I finally accepted that the job was a little different now, you know, I'm in the business of running restaurants. Um, uh, not 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 just stood at the stove. And, and now you've got, is it, have you got six, Terry? Is it now six? Yeah, six, six plus another one that I look after, uh, oh. which isn't mine, but I look after it. So what, what would you say has been the, 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 the key to success of scaling? Oh, two things, Rob. Um, people, um, and I've been blessed with great people right from day one um, and been incredibly lucky. And systems. Yeah. Recipes and things like that as well. Yeah, recipes and 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 systems. Um, you know, we've we've faced enormous challenges in that um, all of these restaurants are, are within a fairly tight geographical area, and they are cross pollinated with the same customer at times. You know. Yeah, so you're like almost like dil- you're diluting the market for yourself. Yeah, but. But we've 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 managed to deal with that and bolster that. But it, it's the, it's their expectation, you know. Oh, from uh, one to so another. This, this is where this is where the consistency 
thing is is really big um and this is where the systems and recipes and procedures really uh, need to be locked down and you said you said people right you you, you said people and I'm, I'm i'm guessing you mean you mean staff right is that what you mean you, you've been blessed with good staff is that what you mean terry that when you say people uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I, f- I feel like like you've always had a core, haven't you? And especially if you were that core, I'd like to think I was part of that core. I hope you yeah, fucking I hope I was not tweeting out a term. Oh, but I'd, and, I feel and like still are, still are wrong. That's what I mean. I'm sure they're going to turn up on my door one day again. No, that's ex- um, honestly, I, I genuinely feel. I was just about to exactly what I was going to say. I genuinely feel like I'm still like. I'm out on loan or something. That's how I genuinely feel. I swear to God, like it feels really bizarre. I still feel super loyal. I still feel part of the team. I don't know what well, it is. It's really bizarre. Yeah, well, that's nice. That's a huge compliment. Thank you. Um, Rob, it's all, it's all about the people, isn't it? You know, it's terribly, terribly cliched. It's all about the people. Um, it's one big happy family. It's terribly cliched, but there's an element of truth there, you know. And I mean, when I say I'm, I'm, I've been blessed, I opened, you know, I opened a restaurant. We opened a restaurant, and I was locked in the kitchen for probably four years, in a basement. And uh, my brother looked after the finances. Um, Nick, who you know, looked after the front of the house and schmoozed the customers. Um, and Susan, my wife, sort of played the role of the defensive midfielder. She swept the midfield and cleaned up, you know, and, and made sure everything was right and looked right. So all I had to do was cook. And I think there's, there's, there's very few chefs who have been in that position where they've been able to do that, you know, and do it with a confidence that um, your interests are being looked after so well. Yeah. You're not worried anyone's going to rip you off or anything like that? Are the, are the accounts being fiddled? Is the tax being paid and all the rest of it? And, you know, they're, 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 we laugh about it now. Um, but when we get down to it and talk about the old days, Nick tells me tales of things that have gone wrong. And I didn't have an inkling, you know. They wouldn't <laughs> tell me. They all colluded. Not to tell me. Yeah, Just I keep- can... Keep him, keep him focused on churning that food. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, exactly. I can, I can see that. I can see some things you just don't need to know, you know. Yeah. So it was a, it, it gave me a huge advantage, I think. And, um, and that, that, as I say, I think there are very few who've who've had that luxury. And of course, those same people are still around me now. But, but the team's grown enormously, you know. Um, uh, Chris Dobson, the head chef at 21, has got 20 years service in this year. Amazing. Um, Steve Dunn's nigh on 20 years, although he, he, he had a break for a couple of years. The lady that runs the finances, who was my brother's assistant, he's got 20 odd years in. Her assistant's got about 15 years in. Martin, Helen, Chris, Eagle, uh, yeah, they're all. Yeah, and they were pro- they are probably two two generations behind, you know. They yeah. started as apprentices, and now uh, they're now effectively running their own businesses, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and how does it feel? Again, this, uh, you're probably again nonchalant and all the rest of it. But how does it feel to have mentored mentored so many chefs and helped so many chefs on their on their path and, and their career? And do you look at them and in, in like, oh, I can't, you know, that's amazing, and, and take a bit of pride of that. 
I do, but again, I don't, I don't, I don't take any credit for it. Not necessarily credit, but just you know, pride and like, you know, do do I like to see them doing well? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's a joy, you know, and and um, it's it's yeah, absolutely, it's a joy. But I wouldn't want to take any credit. Uh, they've they've got to where they've got to. You've all got to where you've got to via hard work. Okay, I may have I may have shown you the way and um, uh, taught you a few things along the way, but it's down to the people. And I guess because I had to find my own path eventually. Maybe that's how I think, you know, that I, I know what I had to put in myself. I'm assuming that that you guys had to put an equal amount in. It's inevitably, you must have. Uh, but, yeah, do I feel good about it? I, of course I do. I would do as well if I was you. I think I would take as much of that, uh, as much from that as, as, as all the other things, to be totally honest with you, uh, for me personally. But just switching gears a little bit, you have two restaurants that... Uh, uh, offer a retail aspect is that that's right in it yeah yep to which retails yeah. my world now to be honest with you so i'm, yeah. I'm always pretty interested in that yeah. and how's that how's that change the dynamics of the restaurant and also i guess how do you i guess a little bit off that but how do you then manage like the gp because you, you, i'm assuming you're not getting the same percentage but you're getting the you're getting you're buying the product in and it's getting split into two different ways it's going out in the restaurant at one price and it's going out yeah. at, the, at the counter at another price how do you cost and man, manage all that um well we take a hit it's an interesting one we take we take a from a restaurateur's perspective we take a hit on the gp yeah but we but we still get a premium on, on that retail. product if you view it through a retailer's eyes yeah yeah so it's a, it's, it's a mindset thing, that's all. And it took me a while to come to terms with it. But now we've come to terms with it and it works. And, and it works fine. You Do you know? like it? Do you like that concept, Terry? Uh, I like it enormously. Yeah, me too. I think it's great fun. We get, um, we get such good feedback on it. People love it, you know. Um, we've got people who who will happily sit on a high stool at a fish counter that I would I wouldn't have believed in a million years that they would do that. And it's just so lighthearted and um, I think in that environment it's very it's very easy to over deliver, Rob. Yeah. You know that man- managing the expectations of the customer is one of our biggest challenges I think in, in the restaurant industry. There it seems to be self managing. The expectation isn't that high. Why? Because you're in a retail store, you're sat at a high stool, and then all of a sudden you're getting magnificent plates of super fresh fish that's cooked correctly and seasoned correctly and sourced correctly. It's an easy win almost, you know. Do you find that people, I have no idea about this, so do you find that people will get, I don't know, eat a steak and then it'll be, it was fantastic and grab some to go for, for Wednesday night's dinner or whatever it might yeah. be or grab some food so they'll eat and you'll get an extra sale out of them as they're walking yeah. out the door. Yeah, yes. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's, that's a, you know, yeah. that, it doesn't, get, that, it doesn't yeah. get much better than that, really. It works well. I mean, the meat, the meat business doesn't function as efficiently and as dynamically as the um, as the fish side does, 
in that on the fish side, we use the fish counter as the larder for the kitchen as well. Oh, they just take so straight you, from there? Yeah. If you order a piece of turbot, the counter guy will get a duck or two and he'll cut it and he'll hand that over. Nice. And that gives a, that gives a lovely energy to the whole space, you know, because as you know, it's all wide open. Yeah. Um, we're unable to do that on the on the the meat counter. It slows the process down too much. So because of that, it isn't quite as dynamic. You know, there isn't as much activity and uh, as much action. It's a modern. It's a you know. It's a it's a it's a, it's a new style of of restaurant as well in some aspects. Do you know, like I don't, mm-hmm. I wonder if this is going to be if this is going to roll out and more people going to do this. You know, because you're getting that second sale and like you say, like you said at the beginning, and I don't think I was recording properly then, but you 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 mentioned that people get creative in hard times. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe this yeah. is going to maybe this is a creation. Maybe it is. You're not going to get the extra drink or whatever else, but you're going to get them on on something else on the way out. I don't know. I'm just throwing that and speculating, but that might be that might be the, the the evolution of restaurant in the hard times. I mean, I, I think that um, in 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 terms of uh, chefs, restaurateurs, and I'm talking about ind- independence here, yeah, not, yeah. not yeah, nationals and internationals. Um, the the fa- the first challenges. In, in hard times, Rob. And I think th- th- there's two ways to, to move forward on that. And one is to go out of town into the suburbs and create um, neighbourhoods, uh, you know, create a mini Brooklyn, a mini shortage. And that's developing in Newcastle right now on the Usburn. Oh, really? So the, I love the know, Usburn. The, I love... That's like the um, the free trade and that. Is that right? Or just... Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. That, that area there. So this. There's young people doing some really exciting things there right now with not a lot of money to spend, but they're creative and they'll find a way. An alternative is to uh, have a relationship like we have with Fennec, with a retailer, or perhaps a hotelier, or whatever else, where you operate in someone else's space. So it, it takes a lot of the capital cost out Um that would have normally been there, and yes, we pay them rent as a as a percentage of turnover. But you know what? That for me is a real partnership. You know, yeah, they have a vested. I like that. The are you saying the? Are you, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, dear. Are you saying that it's a real? It's a good partnership if it's on. Uh, pro, it's on profit or whatever. What did you? However, how did you t- say it? Yeah. Well, it's. It's on, it's on, t- on it's revenue, on turnover. on turnover. Yeah, I think that's a great way. If you're doing well, they're doing well. If you're doing bad, exactly. they support you. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's exactly. definitely. Exactly. That's a, so it's a, um, it, it's no, a lovely not, Nothing worse if you're doing bad. Sorry, it went up again. This was really awkward. But if you're doing bad and they're taking fucking huge rent and having a great time, you're going to be like, this isn't a partnership. This is yeah. bullshit. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that that's a, that's a possible route for... Um, for independence in the future. Um, retail is changing. Retail's having a real tough time. Um, the retailers have got big spaces that, uh, that, that, that they are struggling to fill because they're battling with, um, with internet sales. Uh, and I think that retail, uh, in terms of big stores, are going in a direction where they, they are becoming more experiential. So there needs to be food and beverage in there and all sorts of other activities yeah. to stimulate customers. Bring to, more in, to yeah, yeah, and bring different markets so I think in. That, 
that 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 that's a good alternative for um, uh, for young cooks, restaurateurs to to get into business without forking out a whole load of capital and um, and putting the house on the line, basically. Yeah. Porthouse, isn't it? Is that right? So that's right. It's called Porthouse, yeah. the steak one. I've just seen you using, it's, I'm questioning myself yeah, and everything Peter. here, but it's Peter Hanna from Northern Ireland. I know that. It is, isn't it? Indeed. It is. And yeah. he, he is. dry ages his uh, beef in the Himalayan salt room. And, in, in a Himalayan salt chamber, yeah. yeah exactly. And how, how is that? For me, it's incredibly special. Yeah, some people are saying it's the best in the world. I've heard it's been said that by a few people that it could be some of the best beef in the world. I'm sure there's Australians that would disagree with that, but there's definitely, I've heard that. Yeah, I, th- I think there's lots of people who would disagree with it. Um, you know, it's an, Rob, beef's a natural product. Um, it varies. Uh, some are better than others. So what I'm saying is they're not all great, but they're all very, very, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've got some Wagyu right now of um, a pal of mine and a, a chap that you worked with when, when you were with me, Steve Ramshaw. We've we've had a Wagyu beast these, this last week that's mind-blown. Oh, fantastic. Because I know he's been working on that a while, hasn't he, Steve? He's been... Yeah, he has. Been, when we say a while, we're probably talking bloody 10 years or something, haven't we? At least... They, they, yeah. uh, I've probably, seen, it's probably, and it's and it's been work in progress, you know. Yeah, He's yeah, that's what that. I mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. And, um, every every couple of months, we'll take a, a, a half a beast from them, and they, they've they've got incrementally better, I have to say. But this one is an absolute showstopper. Oh, brilliant! That's uh, fantastic news. It, as 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 you know, it's a it's a different product it needs to be handled in a different way. So I'm I'm not saying this is better than Peter's meat. It isn't. It's different. It's a different it, style. It's a, different style, isn't it? It's different style. Yeah. For sure. Well, Go listen. On. I've got five percent left, so I'll be honest. So I'm going to quickly rattle through a couple of these real quick. All right. And have you got anything else? Have you got anything else lined up? Have you got anything in the pipe in 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 the pipeline to no. any ex- uh, anything not, exciting? Not 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 for ourselves. Um, uh, I'm doing a bit of consultancy for Fennec. They need to to revamp. Um, restaurants in their stores across their estate, really. So, I'm working with their guys on revamping them, which is which is nice. I like that, and that's pretty much it. Sucker, this, this. sucker for something new, aren't you? The same as it, we always want something new. Always need something going on. People um, be like, why? You know, we, yeah, we've we've just created uh, a, a new concept in St Vincent, which is pretty much a wine bar focusing on natural wine. Uh, with wine bar food, you know, small plates, fairly unstructured. Um, and that's nice. That's real good fun. That's grown, but it, it's, it still has to grow quite a bit. So that's where a lot of the focus is right now. To finish up, I, I ask a few quick fire things. So here we go. Pizza or pasta? Pasta. Gruyere omelette or mushroom omelette? I know you like an omelette. Mushroom. Mushroom. Rich, Absolutely. Rich tea or hobnob? Ooh, hobnob. Alan Shearer or Peter, or Peter Beasley? Oh, God. Can, I, can we have a draw? Oh, go on then. Uh, go on <laughs> then. Fair for, enough. For, for effectiveness, Alan Shearer. 
um, for entertainment, Peter Beardsley. <laughs> well, listen, Terry, I'd, I would love to talk to you for another hour and I could talk to you for another hour, but unfortunately I'm running out of time and I'd definitely get you on because I'd love to go. This has been a bit more about the, your career and, and how you got to where you are, but I would love to get into more in the business and the building of the business and the structure and the staff and training. Yeah. I know how important training is to you and, and all the rest of it and you know what you see in the future and, and all the rest of it, the youngsters and... There's so many things I would love to talk to you about. But um, thank you so much for your time. Well, any, Go on, sorry. Any time, Rob. Any time. I much appreciate it. And honestly, I can't... I can't thank you enough for what you've done. Definitely for me, it's a massive inspiration, a massive inspiration of many people. And without you, I wouldn't be half, I wouldn't be nowhere near where I am today. So I appreciate it more than anything and more well, than you know, I'm I think. Flat, I'm flattered, Rob, and humbled, but I'll just stress again, it's a two-way street, you know. Um, I didn't do it for free. I didn't do it for 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 charity. Uh, I need to get the job done. I need people to do that. Uh, so, uh, and what you've achieved is down to you, you know. I just pointed. I just pointed the way, maybe. Well, I appreciate. It. Well, listen. Have a great Sunday again. Thanks for your time and love to Susan. And and yeah, I hope you have a a good good few months till we next speak. Yeah, you too. Take All care. Right. Good to talk. See you later. See you Thanks up. very much. Bye, mate. Bye. Bye. Well, if you got this far, you must have semi-enjoyed it. So thanks for listening. I hope you did enjoy it. And it wasn't just in your car being played and you just couldn't be asked changing the channel. So yeah, appreciate it. No, if you did enjoy it, tell a friend. And if you get a chance, leave a review. Like I always say, I definitely wouldn't leave a review because I'm a lazy fucker and it's not my style to leave reviews like that. But what I would do is give a five star or a three star or a two star. But if you're feeling semi-generous and you got a tiny bit of interest out of this and you thought, you know what, that wasn't bad. Wasn't bad for someone who hasn't got a fucking clue what they're doing. I'll give that brother a five star. If you do that, I'll be stoked. Thanks very much. Till next week. Have a good one.